Do you realize when we do this podcast, I never introduce us. I've never like said my name. Hi. No? No, like I'm your host. We're your, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we are your host. Yeah, it sounds about right. I'm your host. It's hard to. Uh, we just kind of get into it. I was in the sauna today. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. Yeah. And uh, our daughter didn't say goodbye to me. So I tried to. She did. No, I didn't hear it. She did. She came down the stairs. So I went on the ring and I was screaming at you guys from the ring. But oh, you we went didn't out hear the you. other door. I she wondered. did. She went down. She was like, bye, dad. I Love you. I didn't hear it. You're listening to Get Found Recovery, the podcast. Welcome, welcome. So today we are here. We have a fabulous guest today. Her name is Samantha Perkins, and she is the author of the book Alive AF. Samantha's here today to talk about a whole plethora of things, but specifically her crippling anxiety as she tries to manage life, work, motherhood, marriage, and how <laughs> drinking played a huge part in all of her anxiety. Yeah. And I feel like the conversation today is going to be a lot about anxiety. You know, look, when I got your book and I was the first one to pick it up and start reading, I got through the first chapter and I was immediately triggered. And some people might think for somebody in recovery or an addict that a trigger is I wanted to drink. I didn't. I felt your anxiety in that first chapter. And I remember exactly how that felt. I mean, I started drinking because of my anxiety. I felt like, you know, there's a time where drinking becomes the anxiety. You start drinking to relieve that anxiety and then you have the anxiety. Because for me growing up, I had anxiety. It started around puberty. I would throw up at like football games, at dances, before a test. And I had major anxiety attacks where everyone was talking fast. My body was numb. And I remember, you know, it was probably 1995, I was going to doctors and getting barium swallows and CAT scans. And I think somebody finally diagnosed it with a nervous stomach, you know, so I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to kind of break through. Thank you for joining us on our show. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And just as you're speaking, I'm, you know, thinking about my own story around the same time, you know, I was having, I would go to bed at night and I would wake up unable to breathe. And so every time I lay down, I had like this choking feeling. And so I would go tell my parents, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. And so same, I went to the doctor, several doctors and nobody was talking about mental health or anxiety, never, you know? And so I wasn't, you know, I look back and I was like, was I lying to my parents? But I wasn't, I just literally had no idea that, that anxiety could cause so much disruption that you, you wouldn't be able to breathe. And so anyway, I was diagnosed with acid reflux. <laughs> yes, I have heard I've heard that a lot that that was a diagnosis when people had anxiety because Adam and I were talking about this when we were growing up as kids our parent mental health was not a thing. The word anxiety, the word depression, it wasn't a thing. And so our parents came from the toughen up, you're fine, yeah, move on, it. keep it going, get over it which then then came down to us, which was the same way of like, you're fine, move on, get but, over but it. But I think our parents were trying to do at least something because yeah. my mom bringing me to the doctor yeah. and doing barium swallows and blaming it on a nervous stomach. My father would throw up. She's like, your dad would throw up before big meetings too when he was younger. And it was just like, pretty sure this is anxiety, <laughs> but it wasn't even a word back yeah. then. Yeah, same, same. I, I had no idea, you know, what it was, but I will say that it was like, once I had a diagnosis, 
my parents did this weird thing of propping my bed up. I mean, this is crazy, but they propped my bed up on a slat because they were saying when I laid flat that like this acid would build up and I couldn't breathe. But it was like when I had an action plan, I was like, okay, this is what it is. I'll take the acids and I'll sleep with my bed propped. And I did start to feel a little bit better, which contributed to the thought that it couldn't be anxiety, that it must right. be something else, you know, have some Tums and exactly. Right. But then at that point, you're, you're saying to yourself, right, that was, was that maybe like the first time where you justified something, right? Because oh, yeah. I would love to get into that a little bit more of like, as I, you know, read your book, and you trying to find different ways of justifying what things were and, and going through life that way. So around how old were you when you feel like your anxiety started? So that that first unable to breathe, which I now know was panic attacks. Um, was around my, my freshman year of high school. Okay. Um, and so I was okay during high school, but I always had kind of this, like, as long as I was busy and doing something, and this is where kind of that behavior of, of having something to do all the time kept me from feeling anxious. It was when I was alone and with my thoughts that things would start to creep up. So I just did everything that I could possibly do to not have to be alone with myself. And so I was very social in high school. I didn't have social anxiety. I wasn't, I wouldn't get nervous in um, kind of social situations or like if I had to speak in front of the class, things like that never bothered me. It was more when I was alone, just this feeling that would just come over my body. It wasn't even necessarily at first thoughts. It was just this, you know, I always say this palm sweating, heart pounding, like in my ears, kind of just this takeover of my body that yeah, I would have to get rid of by, you know, calling a friend or going out with people or just anything to not have to feel that. So at what point do you think in your anxiety that you had a drink and said, Ooh, this, this helps me? Yeah. So I noticed in college, you know, we all partied me and my friends, you know, on the weekends. And I noticed that after the party was over, you know, on Sunday or whatever, you know, the day after we all stayed up until four in the morning and got really drunk, you know, everybody else could kind of like relax and laugh it off. And I always was left with that, this kind of like edge thinking like, I call it like a darkness. Like yeah. I just had so much shame and regret, even if everybody else, even if I didn't do anything, I just had this like feeling of doom um, that would come over me, but I never kind of equated it. I always just thought that was a hangover. But when, after I had kids and the party was over and now we're staying home all the time, I started turning to alcohol to just alleviate kind of just being alone with the kids all day. If there was a period of time where I was kind of a stay at home mom. And, you know, I just could not wait until five o'clock when I could just de-stress, you know, it was kind of like a coping skill. Once I had that first drink, I felt so good. Everything calmed down. Whereas most of the day I was kind of feeling manic and uptight and anxious about whatever, nothing in particular, everything in general kind of thing, you know, just always had a little bit of an edge to me. Well, kids are not easy. And I don't mean to fast forward straight to having, (laughs) having kids, but kids are not easy. And in your book, you talk about having your, your son, your firstborn and the anxiety that came from that. Lindsay was the same way. I think everyone thinks a baby comes in this, it's this miracle and this baby comes. And I think Lindsay was like, you wanted to take her back to the, I I, like, there's a part in your book. And again, I don't want to give away your whole book, but it's, it's amazing. And there were, there were so many pieces in the book that I was just like, oh my gosh, yes. Like 
I felt that way too. There was one piece that stuck out to me very much about like how crippling your anxiety was, where there's a piece in there where you talk about that you had to pull over because while you were driving, because you, you physically couldn't see anymore because that was how much of a panic attack you were having. And then of going into labor and they were like, uh, you, your blood pressure is through the roof and you didn't want to say anything about, I think this could be anxiety, but you didn't want to say anything about it. And I think that was just the beginning, right? That wasn't even with children yet. So it was all that leading up to it. And as a mom, right, we want in our heads, we plan a birth and everyone says, you don't plan it. It's not going to go how you want to go. And we're just like, "Mm -hmm, yep. mm -hmm." Like, let me do my thing. I just want to plan my own because I'm, I'm the same way. I need to process things because if things go left, I don't react great. It's hard to get her back in in line. And so if you could talk a little bit more just about that phase of your life, because you weren't drinking, right? Because you were pregnant at that point. So drinking took a, a back seat. So there wasn't that five o'clock, ah, you know, so was your anxiety just a whole nother level when you were pregnant? Yeah, I do think that when I got pregnant with my son, my first child, that it kind of unlocked this anxiety that, you know, I've always had my whole life, but for whatever reason, I could manage it in some way or another, you know, I wasn't able to drink. So I wasn't managing it that way. My life was changing. I'm not going out. I'm not having as many social obligations. I'm getting older. So work is more of a priority. And so the pregnancy plus just adulthood kind of unlocked this anxiety that I'd been holding on to forever. Part of my problem is I I'm a people pleaser with anxiety. So part of my anxiety is that I don't want anyone else to feel this. And if people who are listening have anxiety, they understand this a little bit. Like it's so overwhelming to my whole body that I feel like I'm putting off this negativity. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so part of like the whole doctor experience was just trying to be nice and not bother anybody with anything, you know, just pleasing my doctors, just telling them everything's fine, whatever. Meanwhile, just holding on to this just horrible feeling. And, um, I think that's why, cause I had a horrible postpartum depression with my son. And I think that's why, you know, I had no coping outlet for any of this here. I had like this horrible, anxious episode leading up to the birth of him. And then, you know, I'm feeling so exhausted and tired and emotionally drained and just very mentally unwell. And then someone hands me a newborn don't sleep, don't sleep for three months. And they're, right. they're like, you can keep them. <laughs> I was like, alive. I remember leaving the hospital with Adam being like, they're letting us leave with her. Right, right. And he was like, yeah, Lens, she's ours. <laughs> prior to prior to the kids, the anxiety was a different kind of anxiety, obviously. Were you trying to do things to alleviate it before becoming a mother? Not really. I mean, no. I, w- I would say I was drinking and trying to avoid it. I mean, yeah. most everything leading up to becoming a mother was just avoidance, running from it in any way that, that I could. I just tried to keep myself busy, throw myself into work, party on the weekends, and then get right back. I'd have a horrible case of what I called the Sunday night blues, just horribly depressed and anxious about nothing. Um, everything in my life was going really well. I had no problems, you know, right. and I think that's the problem with mental illness in general. You know, you look at someone like me and you're like, well, what's, what could be wrong with her? You know, everything's yeah. gone really well. Um, which is part of the reason I didn't talk about it very often, because who am I to burden somebody with this? 
everything's fine. And so I think that during that time, I wasn't doing anything healthy to try to cope with it at all, you know, and I still wasn't quite convinced. I had gotten a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, but you, you, we don't, we still don't hear about it enough. And, you know, I knew of people who had to like be hospitalized because they had mental health issues. You know, I knew people with like significant issues, but I didn't know a lot of like functioning people who had this kind of mental illness. So I just thought, Samantha, you're just, you're crazy. Right. It's all in your head kind of thing. And you used to call them anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. Did you make that, did you make that up? Because I would copyright that. <laughs> no, I did not. But when I heard it, I'm like, oh my God, yes. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. You know how I cured anxiety is I started drinking again at 8 a.m. Right. And then then that was it. You know, so there's that tipping point of having those Sunday blues and then eventually finding a cure for it, which is actually drinking more. You never got to that point of AM drinking. And in fact, Lindsay read the book before me and I I read it uh, this weekend. And I was like, what was her rock bottom? When was her rock bottom? Did you get to her rock bottom yet? Yeah. He just kept going. Like what what was was it? What is it? I want to know what it is. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I don't know if I'm, you know, if you remember this from the book, but I have a history in mental health. I worked in mental health and I knew that my anxiety was being impacted by alcohol, but in order to figure that out, you have to know a little bit about anxiety and how the brain works. And then you have to know what the chemicals and alcohol are that connect to this anxiety piece. And so I couldn't quite find it. So, you know, I would get online and I would Google, am I an alcoholic? Because things are getting really bad here. And I wake up, I start drinking to feel better and I wake up feeling way worse. So am I an alcoholic? And, you know, I would read through all these criteria and the answer was no. And I was always like really pissed off and sad about it because I, I couldn't, connected. And I thought if I'm an alcoholic, then everyone will understand why I have to quit drinking and why I need to like seriously get off this road. That is my life, (laughs) get over here into the next area. And I'll have kind of an excuse or reason. And so everyone's always asking me about alcoholism or if I'm an alcoholic and talking to you, you know, I don't have that kind of rock bottom story, which is kind of why I told the story to begin with. Cause I'm like, I wrote, I wrote the book for me, the person who was searching for something like this. And so I would say, you know, never out loud to many people, but in my own head, the rock bottom was bad. You know, I mean, I, the internal war was just something that can't be described, but it wasn't, there was no trouble, no problems. You know, I was functioning so well, which was part of the rock bottom. You know, it was just the really shitty part of having to live like this doing just fine, but feeling just so miserable, you know? Right. And keeping up this facade, right. Of like, there are perfect mom, perfect mom. Yeah. And there's being a mom, right. There is just so much, like so much that you can't even say out loud. Right. And just keeping all of that up on top of your anxiety, right. Of like, you know, taking care breakfast, lunch, dinner, getting them to school, doing all this, doing the dishes, doing the laundry. Like it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. on. I cook dinner. Okay. (laughs) I'll give you dinner, but like, that's, that's it. And so that internal struggle of the anxiety of the overwhelming things that you have to do and like, keep up that, you know, I'm sure you were looking forward to the five o'clock because five o'clock kind of felt like your whistle of like, 
I'm pulling, you know, I'm pulling it out and I'm going to have my drink. And now I can just like take a deep breath. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I could still hold it together. So I felt like I should, you know, but I wanted to get to this point, you know, I would like daydream about like crashing my car into a tree and faking having a DUI, you know, so that I could like have some sort of like, you know, I was seeking this kind of like rock bottom, you know, and I did get to the point, this five o'clock time came. Okay. And then this is what happened. I would start, I would have my drink in hand and I would become pretty angry and irritable. And so at this point, I'm like, can't you see kids that, you know, I had babies, they were uh, one and three, you know, ages one and three. And I'm like, can't you see I'm trying to relax now? Five o'clock, it's my time, but they still, you know, they're still waddling around, open this, help me with that. You know, I'm hungry. And so I would feel so resentful because here I am trying to escape this and there is no escaping, you know, you can't, I mean, I'm here with them. I have to take care of them. And so I'd get really like angry and agitated, you know, and after a few drinks, I was just like in a really bad, dark place because, and then I would have to drink more to try to just escape more. And there, it was just kind of this nasty cycle, or I would hold it together and then we'd get a date night and we would go out and I would just get so Mm -hmm. drunk that it would take me a week to recover from and just the guilt and shame around that, you know, and, and it wasn't even fun. I would get so drunk and pick fights with my husband or pick fights with whoever I was so agitated. All of that that was sitting on your shoulders is now coming out because you're drunk. Yes. And yeah. And then you have the guilt the next morning. Right. We're talking with Samantha Perkins. The book is alive AF and Lindsay was like, it's AF, not F. Like you thought I wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to say it right. The book is uh, One Anxious Mom's Journey to Becoming Alcohol-Free. And listen, me being a former addict, I think I found your rock bottom. So I'm going to ask you for one story from the book. And the book's great. Like, I I didn't put it down. There were times where the kids were like, Dad, do that. And I was like, let me just finish. I just got to finish. Yeah, it's, my, it's my homework. But it's it, a really good It, it was read. great. And I definitely recommend it for, for our listeners. For our listeners, for sure. But... There was this moment where you you did a little day drinking at a new brewery and you picked your son up from the bus and there were other mothers there. Yeah. So there was this day, like the setup perfectly. It was a beautiful fall day. My daughter was still a baby, not in school. So there was a new brewery that opened and this is kind of how it all started for me. I got really into local breweries, you know, and I laugh now because I thought I was drinking in the name of like eco-friendly, you know, supporting local business. (laughs) And so we went and we sat outside on the patio. It was gorgeous. We ordered chips and salsa from a food truck and had a a lot of beers from high, heavy microbrew IPAs. And then it was time to go do what I called second shift was like, get my kid off the bus, start cooking dinner, all the things that I'd left undone for the day. So I go to the bus stop and I'm walking down and I'm listening to my music on my iPad and I get there and I realize like, oh shit, 3.30 in the afternoon and I'm here to get my kid off the bus and I'm drunk, (laughs) you know, like, is this normal? And so I start justifying in my head, you know, like, well, of course it's normal. I'm supporting local business. It was, we were outside. It's a beautiful day. It's not like I was just constantly constantly justifying. It's not like it was a dark bar and I was by myself. I was with my family and I took my daughter healthy snacks to eat, all organic, all the bullshit that I kind of filled my, my mind with to justify this drinking. And, you know, the answer was no, you know, these other mothers aren't drunk at three 30 in the afternoon when they get their kids off the bus on a Tuesday. 
And for me, it's when that agitation started setting in. So my kid gets off the bus and instead of feeling happy, I just have this dread. Like now I have to take care of him and he's all excited and he's throwing papers at me that I really can't bear to look at. And he's got this energy. He won't answer my questions. You know, how was your day? And he's just- Is that because you felt like you were being selfish and drinking or was it because you were intoxicated and annoyed? I wish that I could answer that I was being selfish, but I was feeling annoyed that I am trying to live my life here and get drunk. And you guys are all bothering me. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I really wish I could answer that differently. But at that time I was just so low, you know, and all I wanted to do was escape my life. I think that's a big part, but even outside of that, right? Like, again, I'm not justifying this, but as parents, we're tired. We are tired. And sometimes we just want a minute and it's impossible to get a minute. And so you went to a brewery, you did your thing. Now looking back, it was a Tuesday and other moms weren't drinking, but you know, there are times where we just are tired and I get frustrated with the kids because I can't handle it sometimes anymore. The mom, the get this, the, can we, can you get me this mom, 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 mom. It's a thousand times a day. And I sometimes just want to be alone. Right. Yeah. And she's sober and she doesn't have a problem. And I'm always shocked as to why she doesn't drink. And I'm always like, just have a glass of wine for me. But it's like (laughs) alcohol manufacturers have marketed towards women. Lindsay was telling me a statistic that alcohol is, do you have that? Yeah, this is, this was a crazy one. So it was a study conducted by the Rand Corporation in September. And it suggests that Americans are drinking 14 times more often in response to pandemic related stresses, especially women whose heavy drinking increased by 41% in 2020. So that, that number is astronomical and that's just the beginning. And I think there is a there is this mom culture of drinking that's out there. And, you know, mommy's mommy's sippy cup or there's a wine that's called mommy's time. Out. Yeah, mommy's time out. And it's justifying that it's OK. And listen, I'm going to sit here. Not everybody has a problem drinking. Right. Like, let me be very clear with that. that some people can have a glass of wine and have their drinks and it's not a problem. There are others like Adam who can't. Right. He can't, he can't drink because moderation doesn't exist to him. And so that is why we're in this place. But somebody like you, Samantha, right. Who is trying to justify your drinking. This isn't helping you in any way. It's, it's really just being like, no, this is good. They made a wine just for me because I need a timeout. Yeah. It was a lifeline. I mean, I looked at that all the time and I said to myself, it can't be that bad. You know, I have this story in the book about, you know, I, I was like, if this chic woman at this boutique is selling a darling little tea towel that says, um, they wine, I wine, you know, how bad can it be? <laughs> like, this is what we do, you know? And I use that to justify and justify and justify for so much longer. Meanwhile, my mental health going so downhill. And I do know even now, like I look at my social media feed and just hearing stories and I've read articles, much like the one you just shared about women and drinking. And it just, it makes me so sad because I know now 
that I couldn't really, the drinking didn't help me escape my kids. You know, I mean, the problems never went away and it didn't make anything better. It made everything worse. And all, all of that time, now I have the shame and guilt for, you know, having wasted all of those years, just trying to escape from them versus just leaning in and learning the right kinds of coping skills for being with them. And that, that doesn't mean that today as a sober person, it's any easier. It's not, you know, I still have struggles, but when I have a struggle, I can overcome it with something that isn't going to, to set me back. It's going to move me forward. Um, so yeah, I worry about the mommy wine culture. I mean, it makes me, I worry sick about it because I just know that so many people are, are in the middle. You know, you're right. There's so many women who are going to have a couple glasses of wine a week. No big deal. Do it, have that, you know, but there are a lot of people that are in my situation and I just, I know it. they reach out to me now. I mean, I talk to these people and I just worry about them because it's just the mental illness aspect of it, the depression and the isolation and the loneliness. Right. I totally, I totally agree with you on that. I think that's just a big piece of the culture. Let me switch gears a little. So, you know, that day of, of getting your son off the bus and then you had decided I'm going to try to not drink. I'm going to try. I'm not going to say I'm going to try to do this for 21 days, right? Mm -hmm. That was the number you had chosen to give yourself. Talk about a little bit about what that looked like, felt like right in the beginning, maybe that those first few days of doing that. Yeah. So 21 days, I don't know where I got that number. I think I saw some movie um, that about someone who went to rehab for 21 days. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Sandra Bullock movie. Yes. I think it is. Is it called 21 days? Maybe it is called that. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, she goes to rehab. Yes. Okay. Now I got it. So I'm like, okay, I can do this for 21 days, which actually sounded like 21 years. I mean, you know, I'd never, other than being pregnant, got more than a couple days, if, if a couple, um, without drinking. So it felt like forever. And, you know, everybody asked me about those first few days and weeks, and I equate it to like a really seriously awful breakup. You know, I was just mourning the loss of alcohol and like how I, I kind of had discovered at that point that it wasn't working with my anxiety. And I learned more about kind of the statistics around how dangerous alcohol is in general and how bad it is for your health, not necessarily in relation to addiction, but just, you know, how, how bad it can be for you overall. And so I just felt like I was betrayed. I was just really sad. I mean, I luckily had the support of my husband who helped take care of the kids. I laid in bed for a couple of days. I mean, just feeling sick, not quite sure how to live. I thought my life was over. I figured I'll never have, my friends are all going to you know, yeah. leave me. I'll never be able to be in a situation that's fulfilling ever again. You know, I'm going to, I figured I was going to be living like a dimmed down version of life because I had made the assumption that people without alcohol were just you know, bored. I couldn't agree with you more. I I've said it to myself and I've never said it out loud. And when I read it in your book, you compared it to like an ex lover, boyfriend, girlfriend. And I, I was like, man, I've been saying that too. I've never really said it out loud, but you're right. You remember all the good things about your ex. And then you forget like that they dumped a Snapple on your bed in college and smashed a picture frame. Sorry. That's <laughs> She was crazy. She was crazy. Not but, me. No, not you, right. my ex. But I remember the good times, but then you you have to try to remember the bad too. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what it felt like, you know, just this exhausting kind of breakup where I just literally, I mean, I do think I cried, you know, just, you know, mourning this for a while. 
And do you think you were feeling feelings that you had suppressed for so long? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah. And the chemicals, I mean, I was just a mess, you know, just a blubbering mess. Right. That was, that's a big thing that Adam had said when he was in treatment, he talked about these feelings, right? They, it was things he had never felt because he was self-medicating himself with alcohol that he just suppressed all these feelings. So you take that, you take that cover away and he was just feeling things and he didn't want to feel these things. And, you know, we have a big Crying joke. For no yeah. Reason. We have a big joke in our house that, you know, we feel all the feels here, oh right? We're God. very, we're very open about the feelings in our house. And <laughs> Adam's just like enough with the feelings. Like it's too much. I can't handle it. But that is a big piece of when you take alcohol away, because, you know, a lot of people tried to suppress what that is and you take that away and there's just a mountain of emotions. And I will say like, I had some very significant anxiety, mostly related to like, what will my life look like and how will I function? pretty early on, like within a couple of weeks, the irrationality of my anxiety started to dim some. And so, you know, I had this, you know, I still had anxiety, pretty debilitating, but it wasn't like crazy. Like it was with the alcohol. I mean, I was getting to a point where I was like paranoid about things and like, I couldn't, I couldn't ever sleep because I, my heart was pounding all the time. Like I had this like zing of of adrenaline, but once that started wearing off, I still had like my normal anxiety, but not the heart pumping, manic adrenaline. And so I did, um, I, you know, I had to learn how to manage that in a different way. Cause it was more, it, I think at that point it became less of the body thing and more of the head thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about a bit more about how you got to this place, right? How did you get to a place where you said, I'm going to stop drinking? I know you were a big Googler, right? You Googled a lot, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but there was um, a blog that you had started to read that kind of pushed you in that direction, right? Yeah, I was so, okay, it's embarrassing to talk about, but I'll just go there. I mean, I was so disconnected from myself at this time. You know, I just, I couldn't see truth in any way. And so, you know, again, I grew up believing there are alcoholics and there are drinkers and there's nobody in between. You mm-hmm. either get to experience a hangover in the way that I do, or you can't. And so I, I couldn't see anything. And so I Googled this horribly vain sentence, cool people who don't drink. And that's because I was like, there must not be any people who yeah, are cool and all losers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible. And I apologize so much over this. Um, no. but, but anyway, I ran, came across this blog and a girl was kind of writing about this in a different way. She, her name was Holly Whitaker. And she was talking about like sobriety being something cool, like not sobriety being a punishment. She was talking about it being like a liberation. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I started reading a little bit about that. And then she kind of led me to this book written by Annie Grace, which is about the science behind alcohol and how it works. And I think given my history with mental health, I I really got that brain body connection piece. And so once I knew like what alcohol does to my brain chemically, then I was like, okay, this isn't all my fault. This is some of what's happening with my mental illness. And I've got, I've got facts around this versus kind of this idea that, you know, it's this way or it's that way. I had something telling me this is why it is. Right. And you find, I'm going to quote, I'm going to air quote recovery, right. Through these blogs and through reading and discovering that alcohol is affecting your anxiety. 
You don't like to label yourself. You don't like to put yourself in a recovery field or an alcoholic field. You never went to an AA meeting, you know, and for us, I don't, I don't do AA. Um, I went to a couple meetings when I first got back to appease Lindsay when I came back from rehab, but I don't do AA. I use therapy, but you know, you celebrate a, you have a sobriety date of September 17th, I think somewhere around there. And you celebrate all those milestones, yet you don't want to put yourself in a category. Talk a little bit about that. I, I Thank you for asking this. And I like talking about it with you guys. Part of it is because I, I, I'm still working on this. You know, I, I'm not as new into in, sobriety. I mean, I am. It's been over three years. But I don't quite know where I belong. And I know these people who've had such a horrible issues with alcohol that I don't want to take away from them by saying that I'm also in recovery or that I was an alcoholic. Because when I'm sitting next to some people who were very, very sick, I don't feel, I don't want to take away from them by calling myself that because I'm just out here living my life, which is so privileged and lucky. And I have all the support in the world and it didn't get to me yet. I'm not convinced that it wouldn't have if I didn't find some sort of intervention, you know, earlier on. Um, and so that's part of it, you know, and I always, I, you know, I love the word recovery because I am recovering from anxiety and from people pleasing and from just, oh, all of my um, wrong thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I, I was just writing about this yesterday, you know, I thought sobriety was going to be kind of the end, like, okay, I'm going to get sober and stop drinking. And then I'm going to live out the rest of my day. Yeah. <laughs> with no problem rainbows everywhere yeah you know and it was really just the beginning of my life it was the first day of my life that I could now you know I was so wrong about sobriety that you know what else am I wrong about kind of thing and so I'm just learning constantly all these new things I'm recovering from old mindset but I just am still nervous about taking the word recovery or alcoholism or alcoholic away from the people who like really deserve it in some ways you know what I mean yeah thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I do deserve it. No, I feel, I feel exact. I feel the same way. Right. When I came home, I started to tell people that I was recovered. Right. And I also, you know, I sometimes, yes, I I'm in recovery. I wrote a post about being in recovery, but sometimes I just want to say to myself, like, it's over, you're done, you've recovered, but then you're reminded that you're still in recovery. The, another thing that I like to touch on, and it's, it's controversial is that I don't think of alcoholism as a disease, right? Because I feel the same way as you. I feel guilty that somebody going through cancer treatments right now has a disease and that I'm labeled as a disease. I think of alcoholism as a choice and that works. That It lenses, drives me insane. But it works for me. Right. That works for him, right? I don't agree with that. I, I believe in science, right? And I believe that- <laughs> well, it, I believe in science. Too. I believe that it is a disease and that it has been medically proven that it is a disease. So yes, that's why he says it's controversial because people have opinions and that's fine. And we disagree on, on it. I do think within alcoholism, there are choices, but I don't think you chose to be in that. That That's the difference for me. But I also think the point of our podcast, right, is to talk about recovery because recovery is different for everyone. Yeah. There is no one size fits all for everyone. And people have to figure out what works for them, right? So what worked for you, Samantha, may not work for another mom who's in the same exact situation as you, but just 
can't get there the way you got there. Right. Or that's, that's the biggest piece that I like about our podcast is that all of the stories we've heard so far, everyone has their own way of recovering. And sometimes it's dirty and ugly and raw. And sometimes it's easier for some than, than others. And I think you getting to a place where you feel comfortable in your skin and how you portray, you know, how you, you don't need a label on yourself. That's how, that's just my opinion. And I think if you choose to say to people, I'm alcohol free, that's your choice. Which is, which is the name, the book is Alive AF. And I thought it was as, and I'll beep that out. (laughs) I will beep that out. Well, I I think it could be most, I think it could be used in both ways. Like I'm alive. No, I know. I know that. And she knows that. I know. But when I first got (laughs) it, it means alcohol. No, I know. But when I first got the book, I was like, yeah, alive AF. Like, yeah. And then I saw the parentheses and I was like, yes, got it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody asks about this, but you know, it is both obviously, because I literally, like I just said, I'm alive AF, you know, as because, you know, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore, but it's because I'm alcohol free that, that I got there, you know? And so, yeah, I just, I, I totally agree. I think everybody has to have their own way. There's no wrong way. And for a little while, I did feel like there was a wrong way, you know, like, cause I couldn't quite find this category and I was like ashamed or embarrassed. I'm also like, I'm an anxious person. I'm super introverted and shy, you know, had I not been that way, I may have walked into an AA meeting and been like, Hey, you know, yeah. I'm here. You know, but I'm not, I'm like alone with my books, you know, with my husband and my few friends. And that's just how I am in general. So I think like, it is everybody's personality is going to have a different way, you know, and their circumstances too are going to make that. So that's why I thought my story, just like telling my story, I'm not telling people, this is what you do to stop drinking or this is how, and every time people ask me that I have a really hard time answering, you know, cause I, I don't know, but I figure if I can just share my version of, of this small story, maybe it'll reach a few people who can relate. Yeah. And that, that's what I love. I love that's the lived experiences can do so much more for people than a lot of other things. Right, and your book proves that you don't have to climb out of a ditch to get yourself sober, you know, which I thought was unique too, because here I am thinking like, where's the downfall? Right, he's like, wait, I crawled out of a ditch. Wait, where's her? Where is her downfall? But I think you did something that a lot of people in my shoes wish I did years and years ago. I remember... I got sober, Lindsay was pregnant and I was sober for seven days and I wanted to tell everybody. Like it just felt like this weight was lifted but I couldn't tell anybody because then I would admit, I would admit that I had a problem. Right. Yeah. And I think about that a lot too, because I live in a world with a lot of drinkers, you know, and, and, you know, I'm the one with the problem because I decided to stop drinking. And that bothers me a little bit because had I known that you could stop drinking without hitting kind of that rock bottom, I would have done it sooner. I wouldn't have put myself through all of this. And so I really, um, that's part of why I I continue to share about this is to just be like, Hey, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, yeah. Our culture is constantly, you know, sugar, carbs, gluten, screen time, you know, all of these things to take care of yourself. No one's ever talking about alcohol, you know, why not? Like add it into the mix so that people can assess it. Everybody I know is on a diet in January and, you know, talking about what they've eliminated. Like why is an alcohol part of that conversation just regularly for people who, you know, my, your younger self, maybe, and even my younger self. Yeah. And I wanted to blame it on everything else. You know, I wanted to blame it on the job, uh, my car breaking down, 
uh, not being able to pay a bill, being overdue on a credit card. You know, I wanted to blame all of that on life instead of alcohol. I found every reason not to blame alcohol because that was my that was my friend that right. was my my girlfriend she took care of me well and know? i also i also think it plays a role that it's a legal substance right, right? I, I mean you go anywhere there's five package stores down the street so i think that plays a, a big piece of it of just it's it's legal i can go get it i don't see the big deal exactly it must be okay because everywhere i go someone's offering it to me right so how does it, how does life look for you now? Like what are, so what are social settings look for you, like for you now? Okay. Pre COVID, but right. what does a holiday look like or social gatherings with friends look like now? They look a lot of the same minus me getting too drunk and making a fool of myself and arguing with someone. But, you know, I do still have alcohol in my life. My husband drinks a lot of my friends drink, but the thing I do now that I didn't do before is honor myself. I don't feel like going to this event that I used to only go to because I could get through it with alcohol. I don't go anymore. You know, I set boundaries. And so that is just huge. And like, you know, I'm not, I never go into a bar anymore, you know, holidays. If people are drinking around me, I'm usually found by the dessert table, you know, it's having too much sugar. <laughs> it's my downfall. Yeah. Mine too. I'm still working on it, you know, but I, I do. Um, I don't ever, I'm never going back to alcohol and I, I maybe have like a, a little bit of grandiosity going on. Like, Oh, poor them that they have to drink and I don't, don't have to anymore because I'm just so relieved to not have to drink. Like I'm not thinking about drinking it every once in a while. Like if there's a scene in a movie and a little bit through COVID, I would get a little bit jealous of my husband, not because I wanted a drink, but because I could see that he was able to check out and I had to stay with all of this, but through therapy and other things, I'm able to learn how to stay. And so I think, you know, I put all these things in place prior to stop drinking to try to help me with anxiety, none of which worked because I was just pouring alcohol all over it. But now I have like these things that I do to take care of myself that can actually work because I'm not sabotaging it with alcohol anymore. Um, so I'm, my mental health is more stable, you know, I'm, I can take care of myself. And so, um, and I think I'm more alive than I ever was, you know, I'm feeling happiness. I didn't feel happiness, you know, I didn't feel all the sadness and anxiety, but I also couldn't get yeah. to like the point of like feeling just overwhelmed. Like I, wake up some days, I could even start crying right now, like just so happy that I don't have to feel like that anymore. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, so It's Yeah, it's I, amazing. I look at sometimes uh, my son is sitting on my lap and I'm just looking at the back of his head and I'm rubbing his hair and I'm just like, I'm just, you know, this is just a moment that I can just capture and uh, enjoy. And I do feel the same way that like, alcohol prevented so much and to be able to give that up i i was at a christmas party when we were sober we were at a when i was we were both sober but um i was at a christmas party a family party and i remember we were doing the yankee swap or white elephant i don't know what you guys call it in kentucky yeah yeah and, yeah. and i remember i was just being so loud and somebody one of my family members just said Adam's the loudest person here and he's sober, you know, and that's when I just felt like, oh my God, I'm enjoying myself without alcohol. And you found something that I also found and I got people involved and that's seltzer, flavored seltzer. You call yes. it fizzy, fizzy water, fizzy water. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's amazing. Yeah. We, we have a, well, it's funny, the house that we moved into 
they had a wine fridge when we moved in. So we have made it our seltzer fridge. So the whole <laughs> fridge is full of every different kind of seltzer. So when our neighbors would come over or friends come over, they, they know that there's a million different flavors in there. So have at it. Yeah. And my, and my friends, they'll send me pictures and they all still drink. And I felt the same as you. I felt like I was going to lose all my friends and they stuck by me and, and I couldn't thank them enough for it. But they will send pictures of new seltzers that they get and be like, oh, this is a fall collection. You know, it goes great <laughs> with a meat. But I know in the beginning, you would bring those to parties and everywhere, everywhere you went. Oh, yeah. I had this. I had no idea like how much drinking was behavioral. I mean, a glass, a, cu- a, a can or a bottle in my hand was how I just lived out all of my days. And I went to a party. Uh, or it wasn't a party. It was like a neighbor gathering. And I took a purse full of these waters because I'm like, oh, my God, I can't be around people. And I was just like guzzling these. And I drank a <laughs> six pack of fizzy waters, you know, just because that's what I was so used to doing. Like, oh, haha, that's so funny. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you this story, you know, gulp, gulp, gulp. You know, I was just used it so much like for social anxiety or as just a shield of some kind. And so, yeah, I still really always come prepared with the, with something in my hand if I'm going to be in a social setting for sure. I feel like I've moved up in the world. I used to drink seltzer. Now I drink flavored sparkling water because I realized, I realized that seltzer is filtered water and it's doing nothing except extracting vitamins and minerals from your body. So I don't know why I'm getting into this, but but, so I switched to mineral water. I'm always looking for like a new recipe or like a splash of lime or like sometimes I'll put like frozen fruit in, you know, just to feel festive. Getting wild. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The mocktails. Exactly. What does your anxiety look like now when you have uh, a panic attack or anxiety comes rushing over you? What's something that you do to kind of cope with that now? I did. I hadn't had any panic attacks since I stopped drinking, you know, no more wow. like the body physical sensations, but over the summer, like in July with everything going on in the world, I was totally isolated on my phone, constantly reading articles and like losing a lot of sleep. And so I noticed, you know, I, I sabotaged all of my self-help practices. I stopped meditating. I wasn't exercising. And so I had a meltdown and I had a panic attack and like extreme like fatigue and just, I felt sick, you know, like I had the flu. And so I took a break from social media. That was a huge help. I had to get back to just like breathing and I'm still really crappy at meditating. I don't have, I'm not great at it, but I do know if I just sit and listen to my breath and just breathe in and out, I can start to regulate a little bit. I also am a lover of therapy and I get a lot of it. Um, and it helps me, you know, get through tough times. I'm yeah. A, I'm a lover of therapy. I yeah. think everyone should have We have one. couples therapy after this. Yeah, we yeah. do have couples therapy. Awesome. Today. I know. I was writing up a blog post and I really wanted to put, and I didn't, you know, things to do with your... Uh, alcohol-free things to do with your spouse for Valentine's day. And I wanted to put couples therapy. <laughs> that sounds I would love to spend Valentine's day like that. That no. totally works for me. He'd be like, no, no, we're not doing it. I know. I know. So, so yeah, I, I do have to use a lot of self-care and I hate, I, I get kind of like hung up on the word self-care. And I heard somebody once say, self-care is a lot more like discipline than it is bubble baths. Yeah. yeah. So for, you know, so for me, I, I do like, I have to do these things and there's like 10 of them, meditation, exercising, taking a break from my phone. I have to lay off the sugar because I have a serious sugar problem yeah. um, in order to get like my body calm back down um, to take care of my anxiety. And a lot of times 
from an outsider, you know, why do all that work? Why not just drink or whatever? But it's not easy, but it's so worth it. It really yeah. is yeah. to know that yeah. I can, can control it or get it back under control, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of work to work on yourself. I mean, yeah. we, we do it. Adam and I put in a lot of work on ourselves and it's not, it's not me to tell him what to do or vice versa, but it's just to work on ourselves because there are things that no one's perfect. Right. But I feel good knowing that I'm trying to be better and continuing to try to make myself better. Right. And I think that plays a huge role. And, and there's people that we come across in life that unfortunately have the same vicious cycle for themselves. And you try to say, you could try this and they don't want to take that. And then they're still in that same vicious cycle and you want to help, but it's up to them. Yeah, exactly. And it does feel daunting, you know, to try, especially in the beginning of change, to think that you might have to live out the rest of your days doing things that you don't like to do, you know, but it just becomes so much more valuable, I think. And you just have to get over that hurdle. And I, I go into most of my days thinking that I don't know shit. <laughs> and what can I learn? Like, I've really tried to put all the things that I think I know about behind me. And that, you know, that's been the biggest thing that I've learned. So I just have to be open to, you know, the possibilities of change, even though it's scary. No. Yeah. And I get the whole knowing when you're down, knowing when the sugar and having to pull yourself out. I always say sometimes that like I'm in active addiction when I'm eating Kit Kats and to be able to pull yourself out now by yourself and do the things you have to do. You have to get selfish in recovery or alcohol free. You know, you have to take care of you. And I think that's super important for anybody out there who thinks that, well, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that. And you had time. I saw you on TikTok for four hours, you know, like (laughs) you had the time. Well, and I think too, as moms, right, there's so much guilt with taking time for yourself. I, at least I can, I can speak for myself. I always have guilt about, I I work out all the time and I, I love it. It helps me mentally so much. And I do feel guilty about taking that time, but I'm getting better at that of just saying, no, I need a few minutes or I need an hour to myself to do that. But yeah, she almost, you almost ask permission. I, I do. And I, I shouldn't have to, but it's, I don't know if it's that mom guilt or if that's just me. I just know that I always feel guilty all the time. Yes. Me too. Always. You know, my, I I like to run and my son, he's just getting ready to turn nine this week. And so he started running. And so now running is like when I'm like in, in it, you know, I'm like really feeling good. A lot of great endorphins flowing. And so my son's always like, can I go for a run with you? And I'm like, Oh my God, like, I can't (laughs) say no to this. You know, this is not the dream come true, but also no, you know, this is my time. And so, yeah, it's always a feeling of guilt. It doesn't, but I do know, like, he doesn't want the mom who doesn't take time for herself because I'm mean and snarky and I'm impatient. And the whole, when I'm not feeling okay, everybody feels it around me because I think as a mother, I'm like the center of the home, you know? And so I just remind myself of that. Like if he goes for a run with me and I don't get some special time for myself, then it's going to be bad for all of us. And Adam always says too, it's like, if we're not okay, they're not okay. Right. And if, and that's, I, I take that a lot too, right? Like my head needs this. And so I need to do this because if I don't, it's not going to be good. So I'm going, I'm going to do this. And then after I'm just like, <sighs> right. You know, and I can, I can be better for everyone. 
Yeah, same, same. Yeah, we lived and we lived through it. The kids are still alive. Yeah, everyone's everyone's happy. I was able to manage it. Yeah. That's amazing. It really is great. I mean, yeah, and the kids, mine were little. And so I I think about like they're they're not ever gonna remember me drunk. I don't think, maybe, but but probably not. And that's just I feel so happy about that. You know, I'm never like I might be going on a run by myself, but I'm never like putting them aside so that I can drink which is what I did for so long. And that, that's a much different feeling, you know, yeah. that was a much different feeling. Your son's nine. Does he know about alcohol? Does he know you don't drink? Like he must have some sense. That... Yeah. And we, yeah. We talk about it, you know, well, the book is a big deal because obviously I wrote a book and it's, sitting around and, you know, I talk about it a lot. And so they know that it's about being alcohol free. It's really funny. We were in um, the store and there was like a bunch of hand sanitizer and it said it had alcohol, 99 point something percent alcohol. And he was like, mom, we can't buy this because you're alcohol free. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, um, and great. he does, you know, my husband still drinks. So like if he's drinking, we just have a lot of conversations about it, you know, not glamorizing it in the way that I learned when I was young, but yeah, dad's going to drink a, a, a beer right now because that's what he feels like doing. But it's the same way that we don't let, you know, my son have nine pieces of cake because he might feel like crap tomorrow. It kind of equated to that. We talk about hangovers a lot in terms <laughs> of like not taking care of yourself physically, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. I, with my daughter, I, I joke around sometimes and I've always said that like, once I'm 65, I'm going to start drinking again. Right. Because <laughs> I need an end date and I'll probably stay sober after that. But I said to our daughter, I was like, when you turn 21, I'm going to have a beer with you. And she said the craziest thing to me. She's like, well, I can't control it. So if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. And I was like, God, and why did like, your oh mother? <laughs> why did your mother put you in therapy? My God! But she, that's you know, amazing. That's yeah, so they're, awesome. They're so smart and they're so intuitive to when you're having a great day and when you're having a bad day. And I think you know, I I think the same thing. I'm I'm grateful that our daughter was young when I found sobriety because to even think that I would not show up as the person I am every day for her um, would, would killed me, you know? Yeah. So just to wrap up, Samantha, if you could talk to someone and give them some piece of advice, if they're feeling that anxiety, what advice would you give? First of all, you're just not alone. You know, like there are so many people struggling with this in silence and you're just not alone. And, you know, my fears around, I will have no friends. If I change my life, the complete opposite has come true. You know, I've made so many more friends and I see so many more opportunities and I think change feels so scary. Um, but it's harder, you know, I always ask people like, is it harder to stay the same or harder to change, you know, and just kind of giving them, reminding them it's really hard now too, you know? And and so let's try a hard in a different way. Um, and just the, the mental health piece that even people that you see on social media and, you know, women who look like they're crushing it with their kids and, you know, doing work and managing and all, it's probably not true, you know, and that we all go through this sometimes and that, that you're just not alone. You know, I felt really, really alone. Like I was the only one, how 
how crazy is that now? I know how silly that was. (laughs) It is, is, but you do, you do feel that way and it can get really scary. Well, there's a stigma around it, right? There's a stigma around mental health. There's stigma around um, addiction. There's stigmas around so many things. So that's why you, we just, you keep telling your stories. You keep telling people that they're not alone. And then you, you help as you go. And you know, you're Samantha, you're very similar to us where we just, we just spew things good, bad, ugly, whatever. And, and you hope that we help someone along right. the way. Exactly. That's it. You only have to help one person. Samantha Perkins, the book is Alive AF. It's available on Amazon. Where else can they reach you? Where else can they find you? I have a blog. It's spaliveaf.com, Samantha Perkins, aliveaf.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, Samantha Perkins, aliveaf. Um, you can, you know, on the blog, my contact information is there. People can email me directly. So check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was, it was such a great conversation. Same. You guys are awesome. I love what you're doing. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll talk to you. we didn't get to was well we can get to it i wanted to talk about um after you had your son and how (laughs) how you like said to your friend i forget the words you used but you were just like aren't children the worst yeah (laughs) or something like how bad was this decision right and i i had like terrible postpartum depression after I had my daughter and my mom died two months after I had my daughter. Oh my God. So it was bad. It was, I was so dark and I remember just feeling I've never felt so dark in my life. And I didn't know it at the time that this is what it was, but I remember looking at him and saying, why did we do this? Right. And I remember when she would like, wait, like wake up from naps crying. I would be like, I I don't really want to get her. I don't want to do this. This isn't what I signed up for. And, and then like slowly time progressed. And I remember it was probably like eight weeks or so. Maybe it was maybe a little Longer. bit after it was probably after four years old. I would say. <laughs> and I remember like he came home from work and I was like, I think I, I like her a little bit more today. Yeah. And the guilt of feeling that way, because you know, all these people around me were ha- other people were having babies and they were like, Oh, it's so great. Magical. I love them. It was the best. And it's so, and I was like, what the f- are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. I don't know what to do. Nobody prepared me for this. Yeah. And what's with that? Our mothers don't tell us, hey, this is going to suck. Right. Like no one tells you this. But then it's like, but then you want the human race going. Right. But then you want to tell other people, but then you're like, do you tell them? (laughs) Because like, I don't want to be that person either to be like, don't do it. Because I love my kids. Like I literally can't imagine my life without them now. Right. But that newborn stage, I could do without. No, me too. I feel, I remember I developed like this hatred toward these people that I worked with because right before I had my son, they threw me like an impromptu baby shower and they all had kids like who were older. And I was like, these women, they, they lied to me. Like they acted like they were happy for me. Like I hate, they're, they're such 
you know, manipulator, <laughs> you know, like I felt like, why did they do that to me? You know, I was just so like, uh, I mean, yeah, there were several times I was like, oh my God, what have we done? Like, yeah. but little back. do you know, they were probably talking behind your back, like, oh God, let's see how she's doing in six months. Right. And I, awesome. I mean, mine was fully postpartum depression. Like mine was in a deep, dark hole with just okay. things stacked on top of it. So it was like, once I got out of that and yeah. saw some light again, then I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do this now yeah but ooh, I used to come home from work and I swear to god it was like the, the cartoons where you would see the person leave and the clothes would still be in the same position because she <laughs> would like I'm going to Target she went to Target more time and I don't even think she came home with anything I just she need to get out just yeah. I would hear the tires squeak out <laughs> of the driveway just and I'm like okay I have this bag of bones oh, I'm gonna take god. care of it now I'm on the, it was the it's the worst yeah that needs to be talked about more for sure you know at least with the second one, you knew. Yeah, I was like prepared. I was preparing myself. Right. While, you know, like yeah. that blade. Capsulated her placenta. <laughs> I was trying everything. Here to I not... am running around the hospital with a cooler, a red <laughs> cooler with biohazard on it, like trying to give it to this witch out the door because she, she can't because she can't step foot in the hospital. Yeah. So she can beef jerky it and right, grind exactly. it up so Lindsay could take it. She did. She made it into pills. Yeah. Then, oh yeah. It was, I think it helped. I really do. It cuts so deep in stitches back every broken that you've ever had and all the memories that you can't escape. You can't hide it on your face. I'll be the found rest so tightly on your soul. I'll be beside you so you know I'll be the fire